Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's the week that was with Joe Palmasano. Is it really the last day or the last weekend of June? Slow down a bit, Summer, okay? Just put the brakes on it a little bit. Come on. I don't want those long three-syllable months for a while. It's driving me crazy. I like the two-syllable months and the one-syllable months. You ever notice that? Even the months are longer. You got June, April. To, to May, June, July, August. August, and then September, October, November, and then December, and then you get into January, February. Those then are, everything chills out with March. Yeah, but you know they just last forever. I remember vividly summer growing up as a kid in North Hill in Akron. I some terms that stick in my mind when I think of summer growing up. Talmadge Springs, great place. Everybody in North Akron went there on a sunny day in the summer. That was like the beach trip. Even though Talmadge Spring had leeches. Um, literally had leeches, but it was, they had dances there. They had all kinds of stuff and always fights, always fights with the Talmadge guys, Caucasian Falls and the guys from Caucasian Falls, Cuyahoga Falls. That's what we used to call them. Uh, flashlight tag, kick the can. I don't know how those got invented, but they were all part of it. TPing houses. Uh, trips to Lake Erie that felt like we were going to a Caribbean island. The beach. You can't see the other side of the lake. It's an ocean. I got lost there once. At, at Lake Erie? Yeah, I got lost, and the cop came and got me, and I said, are, are we going to be able to find my parents? And he said, I don't know, son. They they could be hiding anywhere. <laughs> Sleeping out, but not sleeping out. We used to sleep out all the time. The sleeping bags, the ghost stories, the roaming around, and then when you wake up at 6 a.m., or you don't wake up, all of a sudden the sun starts coming up and you just realize, what the heck did I just do? You feel damp, nasty, can't wait to get home. Uh, Outdoor movie theaters, the best, with those old Big, huge, heavy metal boxes that you had to hang on your windows. And you'd sit out and watch movies for hours. Fall asleep. 
uh, knee football in my front yard, walking to my Aunt Vera's, also felt like an excursion. Mr. Softy, the Mr. Softy truck that supplanted the Popsicle Man. Mr. Softy was unbelievable now. This guy had cones, soft serve ice cream. Popsicle Man couldn't compete with that. No. He just had, he'd get out of his truck, he'd open up that thing, all the steam would pour out. He'd reach in, he'd pull out a Popsicle. Mr. Softy came along. He not only parked his truck, he got up from the driver's seat, walked in the back, opened up a little sliding door, and made you anything you wanted soft serve. It was like, really? This is, this is. It's unbelievable. The latest in technology. I knew we were going to go to the moon when Mr. Softy came. <laughs> it wasn't when JFK said that, you know. No, this was long before. <clears throat> it was Mr. Softy. He was a. Mr. Softy was. I, I knew we were going to the moon when Mr. Softy. He was involved with those at NASA. He, he knew those people very he well. He probably did. Probably did. Revolutionary. My memories of winter. This is why I hate winter. The memories of winter. Christmas and snow, and walking to school, because we had to walk to school on our bare feet 20 miles one way. No, we had to walk a long way, and we did walk to school. So, besides kick the can, what happened on this date in history? In 1941, on this date, this very date, Germany began its invasion of Russia. In World War World War Two, they advanced on Leningrad, Kiev, Moscow. Surprise attack! On this day, it started. In two thousand seven, the first Apple iPhones went on sale in stores for the first time. Two thousand seven. It's been twelve years. Yep. Wow. Since the first iPhone came in, now we take it for granted. I know. Think about it. Think about what's going on. People were lined up and waited outside of stores for days waiting for the iPhone. My friend, Rocco Vasilino, when that came out, he didn't believe in it. He was like, this is just flash-in-the-pan technology. He went out and tried to corner the market. He said, this is going to go away. I'm going to be prepared. He went out and bought 2,000 miles of coiled phone cord. For his landline, so that he could take his landline anywhere in his car. He thought he was cool. He'd go to Swenson's, hang out, be able to talk to people. <laughs> what did that get him? Got him nothing. 2008, Bernie Madoff, Bernard Madoff. You remember this guy? You don't remember this guy. You got to watch his story. It's unbelievable. It's Bernie. Wall Street? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Bernie Madoff, the man behind one of the largest investment fraud crimes in history. This guy was on the board of Wall Street. He was so well-respected that no one thought he could do anything, and what he was doing was he was borrowing money or getting people to invest, using that money to pay off the other people, and and it was this giant Ponzi scheme. It ended up costing investors uh, $60, $65 billion. 
dollars. And that's a billion, billion dollars. The judge had sent Madoff to a maximum time of 11 charges against him. Uh, the courtroom audience applauded and cheered when he was sentenced. This past week, this is interesting. This will be interesting to you, John. This past week, I read an excellent article in the Beacon Journal written by a guy named Mark Price, not the basketball player, uh, about an event in Akron history that took place this past week. The year was 1929. No, sorry, 1920 now. I like it. I like it. That's a lasting thing. Uh, the year was 1929. A man named Frank Bellini was the kingpin of crime at that time in Akron. <laughs> and he lived on 106 North Howard Street above a confectionery he owned. Bellini, whose real name was Giacomo Ripolino, came from Sicily and carved out a life of crime in Akron. On the night of June 26th, 1929, Bellini sat on his front porch, as he always did, socializing with his brother Gasper, Rox DeLuca, and others, when a peerless touring car rolled past. As Price wrote, two shotguns poked through the curtain covering the window, and three deafening blasts shattered the calm summer night. Bellini clung to life and tried to claw his way to the front door. Two more shots, and he was finished. That was the life of the speakeasies, the gambling, the saloons on Howard Street of Akron. Howard Street in Akron, Akron at that time was the hot spot. That was the Harlem of Akron. Now, There was a little girl. She was eight years old. She was alive at that time, who lived just a few houses up from Frank Bellini. She lived behind or on top of a chicken market a couple doors down. They were sitting on the back porch that summer evening when the shots rang out. Today at nine, We're going to speak with that lady about life in Akron in 1929 and the evening that was remembered in the article this week. At 9 o'clock, we're going to speak with that 8-year-old girl. I can't wait for that. (laughs) This week, members from many school districts across across the state gathered in Columbus to uh, try and persuade Governor DeWine to line item veto, and strike the state takeover of their school districts from the state budget. Eric Resnick, the vice president of the Canton City School Board, was there representing Canton City Schools, which is likely scheduled to be one of those districts. Was a visit effective? And will it spur the state legislature to pass a new bill, House Bill 626, which would effectively pause the state's takeover of distressed and failing school districts. Canton City School Board Vice President Eric Resnick will join me in studio at 10 to discuss his efforts, everyone's efforts, and the state 
of Canton City Schools. Well, the Free free Stuff primary uh, is officially underway with the first Democratic debate completing this past week. We will look at what is being promised, the cost, and who will pay. We have many more stories and a report from Pam Cook at Poochamania. She's going to be calling in. We have sports with John Bazika, J. David Russ with the latest news headlines, our trifecta contest, and more. More. We finally found my parents, by the way. They were hiding behind some trees. <laughs> Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Whoa. I felt like I was in a time warp. That kind of got... We'll be back. Don't sit this one out. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It's contest time, as you could tell, uh, through all the other stuff. It is, um, today is just kind of a Canton-themed trivia contest. Here are the three answers. Later on in the show, I'll give you the questions. And you're going to win... You know, we got in a lot of trouble last week. I heard. <laughs> so I'm not making fun of another prize again. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, I listen. I listened back to last week. And I, <laughs> I don't. I don't stand by those comments. You don't? No. <laughs> Are you backing off? You. You don't back off. You did it. Yeah, I did it, but uh, I'm mad that I did it now. <laughs> I, I bring that out in you. Today, you can win a four-pack of vouchers to see any regular season game for the Akron Rubber Ducks. Uh, we keep requesting more to give away because they are going like... Go ahead, fill in the blank. They're going like hot what? Hotcakes? Yeah. Hotcakes don't go like these tickets. I thought you were going to say like they were going like... Little rubber duckies at like so. No. Plus, Canal Park is beautiful. So it is. And this time of year, it's not good in the winter. But <laughs> four pack of vouchers to see any regular season game of the Rack and Rubber Ducks. And here are your three answers today Dan Deerdorf, Dan Deerdorf, Mark Murphy. Thurman Munson, Dan Deerdorf, Mark Murphy, Thurman Munson. Those are your three answers. Later on the show, I'm going to give you a description of each, and you're going to have to match them up to win your four-pack of vouchers to see any regular season Akron Rubber Ducks game. Um, It is uh, 75 degrees? Holy cow. It's going up to, what, 135? It's going up to 87 degrees today. What a beautiful day. I love it. I wanted to uh, send out our thanks, my thanks, my personal thanks, to a lady who just retired as of Friday, Marianne McAllister. Um, she was, she, Marianne McAllister, folks, embodied everything that WHBC is all about, the spirit of the station, the giving, the unselfish attitude. You know, she never wanted to be in front of the camera. She never wanted to be talked about. 
She was just there making sure everything was perfect. She cared. She wanted to make everything perfect, not just for us, but for everybody who came by. She had an infectious enthusiasm. If you look at Wishes Can Happen, if you look at all the events like uh, the All Care Stadium show, everything that went on with WHBC, there was one person who was behind it all, not looking for accolades, but just making it all click, and that was Marianne McAllister. She is an incredible lady. I love her. Uh, we all do. We're going to miss her. She is uh, retired, and um, we will go on in because she has taught us how to do that. She has shown us the way of how to do it, and we'll move on, but we will miss her terribly. Thank you so much, Marianne, and my best to you. Where did these terms come from in basketball? What what happened to guard, forward, what, center? Swingman? Swingman. When I grew up, swingman was a guy, hey, the guy that could go 20 feet on the school swing. That's the swingman. Look how high he swings. I thought you were going to say it was like some like radio radio jockey that was like... No, but yeah, they could have been too. Like, hey, you're listening this is, to the swingman. This is Wolfman, the swingman. How... Where did these come from? I don't know. It's it's become popular in the last 20 years. Swingman, uh, two guard, uh, shooting guard, point yeah, guard. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the positionless NBA. Small forward, tall forward. Yeah, why don't they just call them players now? There is no center anymore, is there? No, no, because centers don't do what they used to. I mean, centers used to just stay in the paint. Like yeah. That was their job. Yeah. And now, like, if you're a center in the NBA, you need to be able to pop out to the three, make that shot. Pop out to the three. See? Pop out to the three. You got to pop out. That means, that means you take your body and you go to to the perimeter. Yep. So why don't they just say that? Pop out to the three. Turn into a swingman. Yeah, I mean, you, being a swingman is a valuable position in the NBA. It is. Okay. Being, huh? a, being a center who can pop out to the three, it's a valuable position in the NBA. Wow. So you could set a uh, high pick and roll? Yeah, with your pop-out center. Yeah. It's like a children's book. I know. The pop-out center. I know. Starring like, Hakeem Olajuwon. Yeah, it's like football, too. Football has gone to now, used to be uh, three wides, and now now you've got personnel groupings based on numbers. Drives people crazy. So you got 11 personnel, 12 personnel. You got uh, zero personnel. You have 21 personnel. You have 22 personnel. Yeah, I know. Everything is... You know what the thing is, though, Joe, is that as much as the terms have complicated themselves, the game hasn't really changed. I mean, it has, like, in terms of, like, there's more passing... And in the NBA, there's more three-point shooting. But, like, simple plays are still what works. You know, simple give-and-goes, simple high-pick-and-rolls. Still comes you know. down to blocking attacks. Yeah. I mean, that's the teams that win, the Patriots win because they aren't flashy. That's you know? true. I mean, that's, that's the a deal. Good point. And, they do and what the, they do. And the teams that win in the NBA, they win because they're not flashy either. 
They just make the extra pass. Mm-hmm. Find the open guy. Find the open guy that pops out to the swing. Also play defense. Yeah. Those are the teams that win. Well, the the um, speaking of the NBA, they're exploring cutting down their season. I heard about this. You know, they want to cut it down from 82 games. They, they Some people have even suggested 53 games total. Instead of 82. I, I agree. Season's way, way, way. And you know what? So many teams get in the playoffs, first of all. Uh, maybe expand the playoff season. Because the NBA regular season is a, is is dull to yeah. me. You know, it's like watching paint dry. It's like Well, because it doesn't matter. Right. Right. You just have to get yourself in the top eight. Yeah. And maybe they could go ten lower the games to 53 or 60, give the players a little bit more time rest so that they're healthy come playoff time. I agree. And their careers last longer. Um, I'd love to see an expanded playoffs because the NBA playoffs are, I mean, that's that's all you, you look for in the NBA anymore. Yeah. I mean, regular season games, I mean, for Cavalier fans right now, regular season games are important because they're not good enough to focus on the playoffs yet, but for the teams that are trying to win an NBA title, like the Warriors, playing a mid-January game against the Phoenix Suns, yeah, they could care less about that game. I know. I which know. Is, which is why they lose those games. Yeah, and, I, you know, people are like, oh, they're not the same Warriors. Well, no, they're just, they just don't they're, care. They're bored. Yeah. So, so I, mean, if you... I think it'd be good. I think Mount Union is trying to follow suit, too. They're going to play one game against Case and then go right to state to national championship. <laughs> that's what I've heard. I don't know. I, it's, that's the rumor. They're going to play Case and, and go and then have a bye and get ready for the national championship game. They could probably skip the whole regular season. I know they could. And just start in the playoffs. Duh. And be fine. I've been suggesting that for a long time, that that they just go ahead and do that. Because even in the playoffs, typically on a good year, the first time they see like real competition yeah. is week three of the playoffs. So when are they going to get thrown out of the conference they're in? Oh, I don't think they will. Why? Everybody else is throwing the good teams out. I don't think they're going to do that. The OAC still has too much respect for itself. To throw? Yeah, they do. As from top to bottom in that conference, those teams have too much respect for themselves. Yeah, but you got to give the student princes a chance to to make. Who's who are they? Heidelberg student princes. You know, about five to seven years ago, Heidelberg. Yeah, they had a running back. Cartel Brooks was his name. Yeah, and I remember doing a game at Otterbein for our student radio station. He had like 300 yards rushing, and they were they were right up there with Mountain Union and John Carroll, and they were very good for a four or five year run. I don't know what they've done since, but they always have these like like when they when they're bad, they're really bad, and then when they're good, sounds like a song. Is Ober has Oberlin ever been good? Oberlin, yeah, they're not in the OAC. Thank God. What are they in? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. All right. All right. I, I wanted to... Uh, I think they used to be in the OAC. 
So the the NCAA, in their infinite wisdom, you know how I hate the NCAA. With a passion. Um, they've added two words to their uh, transfer guidelines. Did you hear about that? No. They added two words, extenuating and extraordinary, to try and curb transfer eligibility. Because right now, everybody's transferring and they're becoming, the waiver process is so easy that everybody's just transferring, and they become eligible immediately. So now they've added the words extenuating and extraordinary. The, the, circumstances, the circumstances now must be extenuating and, and extraordinary. extraordinary, hoping that it will slow it down. No. Now here's my feeling. I, I thought about this. Let them go. Do do people really do do athletes at Division One, at the major schools, really care about the school anyway? No. Okay. Don't. So, if that coach, if that coach is allowed to bring in, say you've got a quarterback who you last year you promised would start, and now this year you go out and you find a better one, and you promise, yeah. And you promise him he's going to start. So now you've lied, which is, you've lied to the quarterback before him. Shouldn't that player be able to, say, pack up and go somewhere else? Yeah, he should be able to. Because he went there with the with the idea that he was going to start one day. Yeah, and, and, and he didn't go there for the education. No. He no. went there to play football. No players, no Division One top flight players go to the college that they choose for, you know. Well, I wouldn't say no because there are some exceptions. There are, but but the majority of them do not go because they have a great engineering program. Absolutely, you know they go because this is my ticket. Yeah, they're going to play for you know Dabo Sweeney or Nick Saban or. Mark D'Antonio or whoever it may be. And I'm going to be here. Oh, by the way, I'll be here two years and then I'll leave. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it, we, we've, you know, you could discuss this until you're until you're red in the face. And, and I am. Ultimately. So we should stop. <laughs> go ahead. Ultimately, loyalty in college sports, it, it doesn't exist. I mean, from, yeah. from players, because, like, if... If Dwayne Haskins, let's say he had stayed for an extra year, yeah, and the Buckeyes get like some phenom that's better than Haskins that could play the next year, and they say, "All right, well, Dwayne, you're going to have to sit on the bench." He's not going to sit on well, the bench. Well, that's what Clemson did with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I mean, because he basically had, came in and boom. Because they had that other kid, they had that Kelly Bryant yeah. kid, and they were like, "Well, you know, we only won like twelve games with you last year." Yeah. So that wasn't good enough for us. Yeah, sorry. We we're gonna we're gonna try this kid because he's well, he's better. So so my point is the NCAA keeps sticking their nose in to try and I don't want to use this word, but it's true. Enslave athletes into their current situation, hold them there while the coaches can go anywhere they want. The coaches can break rules. You're stuck with the penalties if they leave. All the things. Make money on your name, do everything, and now they're trying to tighten down the fact that if you're not happy at a place and you've been lied to or something's not right, 
I want the opportunity. They should be free agents to be able to go wherever they want to go. And I don't even agree with this transfer portal anymore because pothole. This transfer portal where they have to apply to go somewhere. Give me a break. Just go. Go. You didn't treat me right. I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else, and I shouldn't have to sit out a year and lose a year of eligibility. Well, it's like Tate Martell, the kid from Ohio State. Yeah. He came here to start for the Buckeyes for, you know, the first two years he was here. It looked like he was going to start for the Buckeyes, and then they went out and they they got that Justin Fields kid, and all of a sudden he's the the hot thing on campus. And, And it bothered me because I remember soon after that, I heard Ryan Day in a press conference, and he was like, well, we got to go out and get ourselves an extra quarterback now. Like he was like, "Oh, like I need to look through the free agency list, you right. know, look in the transfer portal and see which kid I can convince to come here." Right. That's not college football. I mean, that's not what But that's what they've created. It's, so, unless I mean, if you're going to give them the freedom to leave after a year or two in basketball and football, then you also have to give them the freedom to leave and go somewhere else to maximize their opportunities because they're not there. They're clearly not there to get an education. Unless you change everything to you, you got to graduate. You got to stay there four years. You got to exhaust your eligibility in college before you go to the pros. Then you can have a transfer rule. But until you do that, you don't get to hold on to these kids, put rules on them, and then tell them that they could leave. And then for two years, they they have to go somewhere to maximize their 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 worth. I, I don't agree with it at all. We got to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue with this or any other things that you want to talk about. Stay tuned. The Doobie Brothers got much better when this guy joined them, I thought. I love his voice. Who is this? Michael McDonald. Doobie Brothers. Come on, John. Hey, have you ever thought you had a really bad day or that life had dealt you a bad hand? Yeah. Well, when you get like that ever again, just think of the cicada. Why do you say that? Think about this. They spend 13 to 17 years of their life underground. They emerge to the surface as adults. Takes them that long. 13 to 17 years. They get up above the ground. They're around for five or six weeks before they die. They spend their whole life underground. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, now think about this. Here's what's worse. They have found now that many cicadas in West Virginia and Pennsylvania are actually flying dead. Listen to this. What happens is underground, while they're underground, they get a fungus that's very similar to the fungus that's in psychedelic mushrooms. Sure. So they get this fungus while they're underground. The fungus causes cicadas to lose their limbs and everything else. In fact, every it just things just drop off of them. Then they're completely gone. The the disease, the fungus, takes control of their bodies, so they they're not even alive. But it 
they still can fly around for 10, 12 days. So cicadas are flying dead. They're zombies. That's frightening. So think about that. I mean, so, that, that's, that's, that's honestly frightening. What if this gets transferred to humans? Maybe this is the, you know, all those movies where people get infected and they become zombies? Yeah. Duh. Attack of the Killer Cicadas. It's coming. Yeah, but I mean, next time you think you have a bad day, just remember the cicada. Yeah. There's there's hundreds of them underground for 13 to 17 years. They only get five, six weeks to live. And now they only get really 10 days because the rest of the time they're flying around and they're just zombies. Man. To make you feel happy about yourself? Forget going to the psychologist. (laughs) (laughs) Next time I walk into the psychologist, it's to be like, hey, you know, I was thinking, life doesn't suck that much. I was doing some light reading. And you know what really sucks? Being a cicada. (laughs) Oh, God, you got to do that. If you ever, you got to do that. Because being a cicada is like the worst thing you could ever be. You know you could fly around dead for 10 days and not know it? Shoot, that's got to be the worst thing that's ever happened. I feel good now. I'm actually happy. I don't think I need you anymore. (laughs) And you walk out and that person's going, oh my God, this guy needs me more than ever. It's revolutionary. (laughs) No, it's not. He's sick. He's thinking of a cicada. You hear that like, you hear that like thing over the loudspeaker like, excuse me, (laughs) could you please get Mr. Bozica back in this room now? Yeah, stop him, please. You have a straight jacket. (laughs) He, um. Attack of the Killer Cicadas. It's true. It's true. I'm surprised they haven't made that movie. They've made Sharknado. They've made, like, they've made every giant, like, thing about something to do with... Well, this just came out. But but I'm saying, like, I mean, even though it just came out, like, I mean, I, I'm surprised I haven't heard anything about the movie already being in... In, in, in production? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll talk to my son about it. He I mean, makes movies like this. I mean, Maybe that yeah, that would be a great movie. Next thing you know, and at the beginning, it can be it can be zombie Jiminy Cricket. It'd be he's a grasshopper. I know, but he's, he's been infected. He's been infected. I don't know if grasshoppers can be infected. He's been gotten to. Okay. Did you hear about the uh, Supreme Court ruled on this uh, T-shirt company? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You heard about that, Stephen? This this T-shirt company, its name, it printed on all its T-shirts the word F-U-C-T. <laughs> and it was banned. The, the Originally, the, the trademark and the, uh, uh, the licensing part of the government said, you can't license that. And and they took it to the Supreme Court and they won. So now they are able um, to to put this name on T-shirts and everything legally. A lot of people were bootlegging their name because they, they couldn't trademark it. Now they could trademark it and they could they could uh, they can go ahead and use it. They said 
It go and they, um, Elena Kagan, one of the justices, says, "What is scandalous? It goes against society's current view of morality, and that is a viewpoint discrimination." I agree. You know what the what the heck? What the? I, I was going to say the name of the shirt on the show, but I'd end up getting in trouble for that, even though it's not the word. I was wondering though, because like in a case like that, like what you're discussing with a company being named that what if you were a radio station like they called you and they were like hey we want to do a deal with you like where we you know oh wow we're like part of advertisement on your station oh that's great i that's a great thought maybe i should get them to advertise on whbc i'm I'll saying, do live like, reads for like, them like like <laughs> i can think of the first line <laughs> Oh, that would be funny. Hey, guess what? You're all... <laughs> oh, jeez. People would be like, wow, Joe's really mean. Why does he keep telling us that every Saturday? <laughs> Folks, it's the name of the company. So does that fly into morality? I don't think so. I don't know. It's pushing the envelope, but we push the envelope forever. People push the envelope on everything. Yeah, there are much worse things. I agree. It's not that bad. Hey, when we come back, the eight-year-old girl who witnessed in 1929 the murder of mafia boss Frank Pellini, we're going to speak with her. That's not the right music for this. That's too joyful. Should have been somber. All right. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. So this all started this past week. My brother called me and said, my brother Ralph called me and said, hey, there's an article that uh, a guy named Mark Price, writer for the Beacon Journal, wrote because on the 26th of June, it was the anniversary of the uh, a shotgun assassination in 1929, of a uh, Akron kingpin named Frank Bellini. Uh, at the time of the crime, he lived in 106 North Howard Street, above a confectionery he owned. Um, and it goes into the whole story of of Frank Bellini and everything that went on there. And I realized that there was a lady I know. <clears throat> who also grew up on Howard Street, who lived above a chicken market, who was very close to where Frank Bellini lived. And so I wanted to bring her on the show today. She's gone. And her name is Sylvia Palmasano. Oh, okay. Hi, Mom. Oh, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Oh, Joe, I'm hurt, and I'm just getting up and getting ready. Yeah, I know. You got. You want me to tell my, because I, I wrote it. I was eight years old, living at 273 North Howard Street. And and Frank Bellini, tell, first of all, tell everybody what your what your house was like, where you grew, where you were growing up on Howard Street. Well, I, I live next door. I've got it all written down. Oh, well, tell me. Okay. I was eight years old, living at 273 North Howard Street, next door 
to, on one side was a drugstore, a tall brick building that housed people. It was an era of gangsters and Italian mafia. I lived next door on the right side that was uh, next door to a pool room where the gangsters and the mafias played pool. They were good to us. One day I was sitting on the porch. In the back porch, right? In the back porch of the house that went down steps that we lived upstairs and my aunt lived on the other side. And there was a chicken market in the front. And that... my grandfather, um, I was getting that. Okay. My grandfather, <laughs> my grandfather had a chicken market, and he would kill and clean the chickens for a living. I would help him. While I was sitting on the porch one day, I heard a gunshot close by. It was a man sitting in a rocking chair on his porch. A mafia man called him. That's the way it was. But there was one good thing. People sat outside where, where there were no strangers. People used to help if you needed it. I graduated from Bryant School in North High School. I was a jitterbug dancing to all the big bands. Tommy Dorsey, Glenn Miller, Benny Goodman, and I met my husband, and I was 21. He was 19 when we were married. What a man. We were married 67 years, had three grandchildren, two boys, a girl. No, two, three children. Three children, two boys. Yeah. And Gina. Yeah. Carl passed away 13 years ago. Yeah. We now have two daughter-in-laws, three grandchildren, two great-grandchildren, Ben and Nate. Uh, Mom, now I have to go back and talk about Howard Street in Akron in the 20s was like, was, was, was rocking, wasn't it? Yes. Across the street was Markwitz store that used to sell everything and we used to walk up and down the street and and people didn't have cars and i walked downtown which was bustling downtown was great it used to get have parades and decorated for the stores uh fetterman's dry goods uh, jaegers all decorated for Christmas with Christmas trees and people shopping until 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And um, it was just a great place where everybody talked to each other, loved each other. And then there was the bad side with the, uh, like I said, the mafia and the gangsters going around doing things was it was it all in howard street i mean you knew who the gangsters were right you knew frank... i knew some of them yes i did you knew bellini. frank bellini one was bellini i can't remember all of them their names yes so when 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 he when he was shot you, the whole family was sitting on the back porch it was we like were sitting on the back porch we heard it 
And then, and, and uh, the street comes around a little corner, and and his house is the first house right around the corner, and he would always sit on his swing, and somebody came and shot him there. Wow! With a shotgun, they opened up on him. A shotgun. Now, right. were there were there other shootings there before? Or oh, after there was, it was like that. It, 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 it was it was bad. If they didn't like you, uh, but the majority of of the ones, even the mafia people, were like the ones that were next door to us at the pool room. They would help us if we needed help. Did they want stuff in return? They. What do you mean? They. They. You know, they'd help you, but did they say like? No, no, no. They never, never, never answered us back. We would never know that they were mafia. Okay. They were wonderful to us. And Grandpa, once you moved out of there, Grandpa became the president of Sicilian Club and associated. He was kind of like the head of the organization of those people. Well, you know why? Well, yeah, because uh, uh, he used to do little favors. legal favors for them and i don't know if if i should tell you but he did so many good things for these people that one day a beautiful uh, uh, uh like a pink car came in my dad's backyard and the guy he was one of the one of the mafia knocked on the door and he said to my dad this is for you for all the good that you do for us and my dad looked at him and he says I appreciate what you're doing but I cannot accept it and he did not take the car wow because he knew he'd be indebted yes exactly now mom I have to ask you this I'm going to ask you this on the air I don't want to I'm not and you could tell me to go jump in a lake if you want or hit me with a wooden spoon Um, when, when grandpa died I went through his phone book and one of the first names, he had all the alphabetized names in there with their phone numbers, and one of them was Joe Bonanno. Oh, yeah, there was a Joe Bonanno. Yeah, from New York. Yes. <laughs> Grandpa knew him? But that, that, Grandpa knew a lot of people from Boston, from, uh, he had, uh, oh, like, what, what were the names of the relatives he had yeah. up in Boston? Oh, he knew people from all over. Yeah. Everybody knew my dad, my grandfather. He, uh, no, your father. My grandfather. Well, not my dad. My dad. I'm talking about my grandfather that owned the chicken market. Oh, no, no. No, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, they knew people. He knew people from Boston, New York, all over. Wow. So you were eight years old when this happened. I, I, eight I, years old. It's unbelievable to me. I told John, you know, when I was introducing this, I was talking to John Bazika, and when you talk about 1929 and you say there's an eight-year-old girl who witnessed this, who was there in this story, um, he was pretty amazed that there was somebody that is still around that was witnessing this, and, and you lived in that time. I did. I lived in all. Yeah. And it says, I'm 98 years old, still living in my house with Gina. I was blessed with a very good life, filled with good memories, no regrets. I know. And, and, and we are all grateful um, for
for your life, too. Joe, I, I, I have no re- The only regret I had in my whole life is what happened to my daughter. I know. I know. I had the, I had the most wonderful husband, grandchildren, children. I'm proud of my family. Yeah. No regrets. And you lived through all this stuff. You I lived through all this stuff. The Depression. Right. World and War II. you know II. what? I know something. I tell everybody that that I know I went through a depression, and I never knew I was poor. I say, I say this over and over and over. We planted the food, and the, my grandfather had a backyard. The food came from there, and uh, he killed the chickens. We had chickens. I never knew I was poor. Hmm. And you were living in a home with multiple families. Yes, because my grandfather, my grandfather's home had a chicken market in the front, and then from the kitchen there was a row of steps, and there were my grandfather and grandmother had boarders. They were people that came from Italy, and they left their families, and they would come here work and send the money back to their families until they could afford to bring them here. So my grandmother had to cook for boarders, and then you too. And, and yes, and then, and then the house was big, and there was a laundry room in the back, and I, and on the side, there was steps, and, and I, with my grandma, my mom and dad had, had me and my brother, and there were three bedrooms, a big kitchen that was part living room kitchen, and one toilet and a little sink. And my grandfather built a shower down in the basement, and if if we had to have a bath, we would go down the basement to shower. Wow. Wow. And we, we didn't, you know, it was a way of life, and we didn't think anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Mom. I had a wonderful life, Joe. I my know. grandfather loved me. Uh, he was a very mean man. He used to throw... Uh, eggs at the guy that sold him the chickens. <laughs> yeah, because he said you you feed those chickens babies so that they weigh more. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. No, no, I do. He lived to be a hundred, by the way. He was a hundred. He lived to be a hundred in, in bed because he wanted to die because nobody was around that knew him, talked to him anymore. My, by the way, John, my my no, no lived to be a hundred. His daughter. My grandmother lived to be a hundred. Right. His daughter, her daughter, is my mom, who is ninety-eight, mm-hmm. and still going strong. Love you, mom. I gotta go. All right, honey. Thank you. I'll, I'll see you, Olivia. I love you. Bye, bye. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Sylvia Palmasano, who witnessed the killing that was written up in the Beacon Journal of Frank Bellini uh, this past week. In the Beacon Journal, happened June 26th, 1929. She was eight years old. Wow, the history. Well, stay tuned. Okay, I have a correction. I looked at the people's history. I do that. I look up history facts, and it said the 29th. A caller, and I, I love this from callers, that they can call, and they are intelligent, and they can correct me and get me right. The caller, and I checked it out, Operation Barbarossa started on the 22nd. So, on this date in history, 
Germany was in the seventh day <laughs> of invading Russia to correct it. Rocco Basolino still bought 2,000 miles of coiled phone cord. I do know that. But thank you for calling in and correcting me and educating me. Listeners, I love that. John, you had a story. Yeah, I was going to say, and it'd be fun to interview him, and I, I keep meaning to my papu, my grandfather, who's still around. He's, um, gosh, how old is he? 94 going on 95 this year. He's a pup. <laughs> and I remember when my brother and I were little, he would always tell us stories about growing up here on the south side of Canton and the southeast end and some of the mobsters that they would see down here and some of the people that were involved in crime down in this area, like Walnut Street, right behind us. That's, you know, right behind the station. That's where a lot of the crime was. And um, the only story that I'll share is that there was a guy that was known as Bad Eye Campanella. That's what he went by. And one time uh, somebody was walking by his dad's house and apparently Bad Eye had been like put away in jail for a little bit. And somebody walked up to his dad and said, hey, is Bad Eye home? And his dad, thick Italian accent, said, that's no Bad Eye, that's a Bad Ahead. <laughs> and it's a completely true story. This was known as Little Chicago. It was. I, when it was. I moved to Canton, I became very good friends with Cheese Molito. Mm-hmm. And Cheese Molito, in his older years, we used to sit and eat pasta fazool for lunch. He'd cook at his restaurant, The Four Winds. Mm-hmm. Just he and I, it wasn't open. We would sit there and talk for hours, and he would tell me stories of things he did. He ran numbers, and yeah. he would he would admit it, readily admit it, that, you know, I, re- I was running numbers. Um, there was a mayor of Canton who was a police chief at one time, police captain or whatever, broke into Cheese's apartment or house, and he said, I swung from the pole, and as he opened up the door, I swung and I kicked him. As soon as he opened, I kicked him and knocked him out and knocked him out the door. He was telling me these stories. I'm like, really? I mean, he was a fascinating, fast. always had a cigar in his mouth. It was never lit. It was only about an inch long. And it was always, it looked like it was glued, like it was part of his face. There was always a cigar, never lit, an inch long, sticking out of the side of his mouth. And he talked, he ate, he did everything with that cigar in his mouth. It, it blew me away. He was, a, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, just a fixture, a part of Canton, Canton's past, Um that people should remember. Well, I mean, he's unbelievable. I know we got to go, don't we? When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about sure. it. Sure. Stay tuned. We've got news. We've got sports. We've got Poochamania. We've got much, much, much more. Do you ever fall asleep in an airplane? I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. A nightmare somebody had by falling asleep at the airplane. I'm never going to fall asleep in an airplane again. Only golf courses could be called Royal Putt Rorsch. Whatever that was. Port Rush? Port Rush. Unbelievable. Royal Port Rush? I think the only reason my grandfather didn't accept that car is because it was pink. My <laughs> grandfather wouldn't be seen dead in a pink car. I'm sure it was a sharp car, though. He was kind of a manly kind of guy. Opened up, then they opened up a mushroom plant. 
Now, this is a great story. My grandfather <clears throat> purchased 21 acres now where the, um, if you drive up Powell Road towards Chapel Hill. Okay. All those, all those restaurants and everything. Sure. That was my grandfather's. He purchased 21 acres. He huh. built, he and his cousins and everybody built 10 buildings freestanding buildings plus a big building with the boiler and everything else and he grew he and his his brother and his cousin grew mushrooms and so 24 hours a day when i was a kid we used to go there every one of these buildings you had to walk in with lanterns and they had like 10 levels on each side with an aisle you walk through and the mushrooms grow within a day. You got to put new manure in. You got to grow the mushrooms, and they and then all the women and all the kids were in the boiler room packing them, and then they, we would ship them all over the country, mushrooms. And everybody that came over from Italy uh, worked for my grandfather growing mushrooms until they made it, like Danny Marchetta, like. All these different people that came over, their kids and everybody worked at the mushroom plant. And that was 21. And my grandfather used to hunt on it. And across the street was a golf course. And that's where that's what my grandfather did for his whole life. He, he grew mushrooms and they shipped them all over the country. Wow. Yeah. It was a pretty amazing story because he, he was 16 years old, had a third grade education, did all his own books, did everything. Um, and and was really a, a hunter, fisherman, went to Canada, fished. He was kind of, so he wouldn't drive a pink car is what I'm saying. It wouldn't happen. So that's probably why he turned it down. Had it been a black car? He would have been like, hey. Yeah, I'm taking this. It's not bad. I'm taking this. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hey, we got you this car back here. Uh, don't know if you want it or nothing. So... Have you ever fallen asleep in a plane? I've only been on like a couple of plane rides in my life. Have so. you ever fallen asleep, Stephen? No, have you? I don't think I did. Don't. This happened to a lady uh, in Canada. She was on Air Canada flight bound for Toronto. She ate her dinner, whatever it was, snacks, probably pretzels, um, and she fell asleep. So she woke up. After falling asleep, the plane was completely dark. It was locked. It was parked at the gate. And there was no one around. They didn't even notice she was asleep. They left her there. And she woke up in a completely pitch black, dark, like 1 o'clock in the morning, in a plane, could not get out. Can you imagine the panic? But I think what's worse is, what if that plane was turning around and heading to San Francisco or something? And what if she was on that flight and and didn't even know it because she fell asleep? But she woke up and they left her there. I've never fallen asleep on a plane again. This is a true story. Alone, surrounded by pitch black darkness... O'Brien woke that she initially thought she was dreaming. 
but really soon dawned on her she was trapped on an empty plane. Talk about a movie. That's definitely the start to Attack of the Killer Cicadas. <laughs> I agree. The cicadas have taken over the plane. <sighs> cicadas are bouncing off the windows. They are. Yeah. They're dead, though. Yeah. They just don't. They with, don't. With, with human faces saying, help, Philippe, help, Philippe. You don't remember that movie, do you? Not really. <laughs> the Fly. The Fly. Oh. The original Fly with Vincent Price. Vincent Price. And at the end, Vincent Price is... And this freaked me out. When I was a kid, I had nightmares over this. Vincent, it ends with Vincent Price's friend sitting on a park bench and a, a fly lands on the park bench and they focus in, and this is how it ends. Vincent Price's head is on a fly, and he's going, Help, Philippe! Help, Philippe! <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was scary. I hated yeah. it. I hated it. Anyway, what else, you, what else is going on? Let me see what else <laughs> is going on. Oh, this I wanted to bring up this story. The uh, five-year-old boy. Remember the five-year-old boy that was thrown off the balcony? You don't even know this. Yeah, I heard about this. Okay, a five-year-old boy in Minnesota, he was thrown from the third floor balcony of the Mall of America. Sure. Uh, the guy just randomly threw him off. He um, he is still in intensive care. He's going through, he's gone through multiple surgeries. He's had 15 medical procedures, including surgeries, two broken arms, broken leg, facial and skull fractures, Removal of his spleen, um, but he is still hanging on, and he's still alive, and he's still going. So um, we'll see where that all goes, but I just wanted to give you an update. He is still going and, and getting better, getting better. Um, Pam, is it Pam Cook? I don't. I'm, I'll get that. I'll get that. I think it's probably Pam. Yeah, she was. She she had texted me that she was going to call. Oh, okay. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pause <laughs> and pause from our story, and we're going to uh, speak with Pam Cook, who is at Poochamania. That's perfect, Joe. It is Poochamania, and it is at Fieldcrest Estate in North Canton, and you're there from eleven. To three. Are you going to be there the whole time? I sure am. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. You should bring your doggies. This is the heat you love. I I can bring a Shih Tzu? If you stop swearing on the radio, yes. I didn't swear. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't swear. Yes. Any pet. You can bring any pet. Come on. John's going gonna to bring his pet iguana. Yeah, you're barking up the wrong tree now. <laughs> I knew that I could rely on you for all of this punniness. Yes. So wh what is this all about, Pam? This is our third annual Poochamania, yeah. and it's been such a great event. And you come on out, you bring your dogs. We have contests where, you know, like if your dog looks like you or if you want to dress it up in a costume. Oh, or that's great. And, yeah, it's just you to see. I One dog was dressed as the Tin Man last year. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I bet it that was, dog was happy. That poor dog was like, 
Oil me. Oil me. <laughs> it was great. But, you know, we have all kinds of booths and things. There's three food trucks coming. We've got music and all kinds of good stuff. Also, the uh, doggy fun zone. That's the most popular thing that we have. And it's kind of an obstacle course for dogs. You just put them in there and they go. And it's, it is a blast. You try for and the dodge. Dogs and for the owners. Do they try and dodge the poop? No, they jump over things. They chase the fake rabbit. Oh, really? Yeah, it's great. It's great, and uh, it's a lot of fun. We also have a doggy slip and slide. Yeah. Like where they can get into the water and have a little No fun. way. Do they yeah. do it? Yeah, they do it. How many humans it, do that, too? Well, it could be me later on. <laughs> yeah. But this is all free. It's free parking. And uh, if you know where Fieldcrest Estate is, it's East Hill or 55th Street, depending on which direction you're coming from. Okay. But um, it's the old Hoover property, so you can just stop by and, and have some fun with us. There's also a petting zoo, right? Yeah, 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 there is. Walnut, Farms, uh, petting, Walnut Creek Farms Petting Zoo. They're going to be there. I know you're a fan favorite of theirs, and they, you love them, too. I do always, love them. I know, I know. It's just there's so many fun things, and it's out in a be- you know that setting is so beautiful um, out there at Fieldcrest. So yeah. we would love for everybody to come by and. I heard Fernando Llamas is there. No, he. he okay. Oh, it's just llamas. Just llamas, llamas. Oh, oh my gosh! Now, I can't take it. Someone also told me, Pam, that I heard Joe Cocker Spaniel will be performing his hit. I get by with a little treat from my friends. Do you do you think you're Chris Berman? Is that who you think right now? <laughs> what will you do if I howl at the moon? <laughs> okay, folks. Joe has been staying up all night writing this. Uh, actually, no. This just came to my mind since 1977. <laughs> so this is a great event. I mean, does it get packed? It gets packed, and people come out, and you know you can sit under a tree and get something to eat at the food at the food trucks. We have picnic tables, and you know it's just there's it's just a lot of fun, and it's good to see everybody come out with their dogs. It's something to do, um, you know, get the dog out, and and last year a lady came out with a cat. I think I told you this. A lady came out with a cat, just walked around. That cat never left her side. Was wow. not on a leash and never left. You're her kidding? Side. No, no. So it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. And there's big dogs, little tiny ones, and just everybody has a lot of fun. And we've got doggy treats and all kinds of cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, so. mine are neurotic. I can't bring them out <laughs> in public. They don't, they don't like to be out with people. One, one, fr- one freezes like a statue, and the other one thinks that she, uh, that the world is basically hers and everybody else is a guest that shouldn't just, be there. Yeah, so so I'd have one that would freeze the entire time and stand there like a statue. And the other one that would be barking and crying and screaming, trying to get to every dog, trying to tell them to leave. So I, I, we don't take them out in public. We don't take I'm so them. sorry. No, so it's okay. Sorry. They're wonderful at home, but yes, I can't yes. take them out in public. And they're adorable. They are adorable. Thank you. Now, listen, um, one thing also I just have to say, uh, I love hearing your mom on the radio. It's so awesome to hear her but my favorite part of that interview was when you tried to interrupt her or guide her and she said i was getting to that i know i know i know i'm like yeah mom go get it. <laughs> well she's she's my mom she's still gonna right. she still tells me what to do exactly i know i know yeah, hey well so mania 11 to 3 today come, and uh come out and see pam go out, out and see pam 
Yeah, JT will be there. Gary will be there. We're going to have a good time. All right, good. Enjoy. I will. Have a good day. You have a wonderful day. Enjoy your Poochamania. Say hi to get get Joe Cocker Spaniel's autograph for me, will you? Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. All right, Pam Cook at Poochamania, 11 to 3 today at Fieldcrest Estates. Stephen, let me take this call real quick. Hello, you want to correct me? Yes, Joe, this is Mark Lanzer from Louisville. How are you? Good, Mark. What did I mess up now? Well, uh, regarding the original 1958 version of The Fly, it wasn't Vincent Price's head. As strange as this may sound, Vincent Price portrayed the brother of The Fly. Was he Philippe? Huh? Was he Philippe? No, he was Francois, Francois Delam. Okay. The uh, the head on The Fly, do you remember Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea? Yes. Okay, Richard Basehart? Huh? Richard Basehart? No, David Hedison. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Early in his career, though, Joe, he went by Al Hedison. His his real name was Albert David Hedison. ABC made him change his name from Al to David for the Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea uh, series. It was Al Hedison's head that was on the flight. No way. Yes. Yelling, help me. Yes. He was yelling, help Philippe. Wasn't that freaky? No, 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 just help me. Oh, help me. I thought he was saying help Philippe. No, help me. See, that's what I was 10 years old. I I thought it was, I couldn't yeah. understand. Yeah. And I had hearing problems then. That's all right. But yeah, yeah, it was Al Hedison, who later became David Hedison, and was Captain Crane on Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Did that freak you out, too, when you saw it? Oh, that? absolutely. Uh, the first time I saw it was on the Houlihan and Big Chuck show back in the, around 19. <laughs> 70. Wow. And I'm looking at this fly going, help me, and I'm going, what? Oh, I had nightmares. I had nightmares. It was yeah, freaky. Yeah, Vincent Price was one of two men that were looking at the fly, screaming as the spider was getting ready to get it. Oh, so that's was, right. The other was a veteran actor by the name of Herbert Marshall, who played Inspector Shiraz. Listen to you. Oh, I'll, that's one of my favorite movies. That's oh. one of my favorite science fiction movies of all time. I... My all-time favorite is Them, about the giant ants. But uh, my, but the fly is right up there. Oh, that is awesome. Hey, I can't thank you enough for calling me. Not a problem, Joe. Glad that, to help. Have a great one. You too, Joe. All right, bye. I'm going to get nightmares again. (laughs) We'll be back. (laughs) Something else happened this week that is absolutely phenomenal. I can't believe they were still doing this, and they did this. The Walendas. You ever hear of the Walendas? The flying Walendas? Yeah, they were at the Rubber Bowl. Nuh-uh. Carl Walenda. He crossed the Rubber Bowl? Yeah, he did. When? Before, like, an Acme Zip game. You're kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. Whoa. Really? Yeah. You're going to find out about that and more. Oh, yeah, your documentary is going to be unbelievable, John. That's going to be huge when it's done. Um, I'm teasing, but it's... I'm, I'm teasing it, but... John's putting together a documentary on the history of the Akron Rubber Bowl that really takes in the history 
it's really a history, overall history lesson with all the things that happened there, uh, with hundreds of interviews, everything. I mean, it is going to be phenomenal when it's done. I can't wait to see it. But the Walendas crossed this week, crossed a 25-story high, 1,300-foot-long wire between two Times Times Square skyscrapers. And they did it in just 36 minutes on TV. Now, all without a safety net. And, And check this out. They started at opposite ends yeah, and had to cross each other in the middle. Think about Duh! They had to cross each other in the middle and then continue the other way. I I just would say no. I know. And, And one of the ladies who did it, his sister who did it, yeah, didn't she fall off like the last time they did yes, it? Yes, in 2018 she fell and she broke every bone in her face. Every bone in her face. How do you break every bone in your face and still survive? I don't know. I was she, thinking about that. She broke every bone in her face and she did this. I, I've always wondered that, how how people are like, yeah, that guy broke every bone in his body and he I lived know. to tell about it. Like, how? I know. If you broke every bone in your body, like, wouldn't your body just, like, simultaneously just, like, shut down? You would think. You would think. You'd just be like, oh, I'm dead. I know. She broke every bone in her face, and she went up on this 25-story high, crossed in the middle. She had to get down in a crouch position, and her brother had to step over her. Now, I couldn't even do this on on a floor. I mean, think about it. This is crazy stuff. The craziest part was when the cicada landed on her head. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be? I don't think cicadas go twenty-five stories high. But that's neither here nor there. If they're zombies, they don't know. Um, when we when we come back, there's a very interesting story. Um, and uh, this week, members of many school districts across the state gathered in Columbus to try and persuade Governor DeWine to line-item veto the state takeover of their school districts by the, uh, in the state budget to remove it. Eric Resnick, the vice president of Canton City School Board, was there representing Canton City Schools. Um, we need uh, Eric is, is here in studio, and he's going to sit down and talk with us. I want to know if, if this was effective, what's going to happen, do we still have to wait? Um, and also get an update on where Canton City schools are at this time. So we're going to have school board, Canton City School Board Vice President Eric Resnick as the week that was continues after the news, after sports, after a few spots. Stay tuned. Hour number three of the week that was, and we had uh, Eric Resnick, the Vice President of Canton City School Board, attended an event this past Wednesday designed to influence Governor DeWine to line-item veto any provision in the finalized state budget that continues to allow the state takeover of school districts in academic distress. 
Why was this necessary first, Eric? And thank you so much for coming out on a Saturday morning, taking time to be here. I appreciate that very much. Well, thank you for your interest in this topic. And um, that clip that played during the break was from, you know, was actually from Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, I I appreciate your talking about this and raising the issue among the public. Why was it important? Well, it's important because um, there are school districts in the state of Ohio, including the Canton City School District, that are potentially in a lot of peril. And it's a peril that is coming from the state of Ohio. Um, currently, the state has, under under um, legislation that passed in 2015, known as House Bill 70 or the Youngstown Plan, um, Youngstown, Lorraine, and East Cleveland have been taken over by the state. Next year, if the if the provisions in the law are allowed to stand, Dayton will be taken over. And are we talking this fall? Year, when yeah, you say oh, next oh, yeah, year, for, next yeah, for, school oh, yeah, year for Dayton, yes, okay. it would be this fall. And then the following year, there is a group of ten, and the Canton City School District is one of those ten. Mm-hmm. So, what when? Governor Kasich was governor. There was no chance to get this out because he was a big proponent of it, and he, you know, he wouldn't even have the conversation. When Governor DeWine came in uh, in January, shortly after he came in, after after spending an entire campaign where actually neither candidate talked about this at all, we couldn't get anything out of either candidate with regard to where they. They stood on this, but Governor DeWine opened the door a little bit and said that he would be willing to, you know, he, he, he didn't, he didn't come down hard on one side or the other, but he said he'd be willing to work on taking, taking care of this problem. So as soon as that happened, legislators in the house primarily started scrambling to come up with legislation that would do that. There were actually two bills. There was House Bill 127 and House Bill 154. The one that they went with was House Bill 154, so you don't need to know too much about 127 other than it existed, but 154 became the vehicle to do that. And what does that bill do? In my my understanding, that bill would merely pause the until they study the effects of state takeover. No, actually, correct? it does a little more than that. Oh, it, it actually, does? Okay. It, it actually ends state oh, it takeover. Does. It, it, it says, you know, no more. Okay. Where, where, where actually 154 is a little deficient in is in, um, you know, Youngstown, Lorraine, and East Cleveland have been so devastated by this that they're going to eventually need some state aid, both financially and in terms of, you know, just some policy things to put themselves back together because because it's been that bad. 154 doesn't go there, but 154 um, ends the state takeover for everybody else. It ends it for them as well, and it provides um, some state support services around um, where districts might be having some, some problems. So... So everything hinges on this bill passing and being signed by the governor. If not, I, I would say so. Yeah, because because the the three that have been taken over need the relief now. Yeah, the rest of us really can't wait either. 
you know we don't you know we're not we're not on as tight a, a time schedule but but we need this to go away what what does a we have to get into what what does a takeover look like what happens to the board <laughs> okay what happens to the administration superintendent what happens to all the what happens when the state takes over exactly currently under under house bill 70 when the state takes over there is an academic distress commission that is appointed it's a five member commission three of the members are appointed by the state Department of Education, which are essentially gubernatorial appointments because the governor's office basically handles that. So they come from Columbus. They don't have to be district residents. The fourth one is the mayor of the city in which, you know, in which the district resides gets to appoint one member. Mm-hmm. They also don't have to be a resident of the district. Okay. The fifth one is appointed by the um, the president of the current board of education. They have to be a teacher, not necessarily a teacher in the district, and not necessarily a district just resident. Just a teacher, but they just have to be a teacher. And, so you have a five-person board, right? And in the case of Lorraine, none of them are district residents. None of them are stakeholders in the district. They have the power to appoint a CEO. The CEO takes on the powers of both the the superintendent, although interestingly not the treasurer, which causes some conflict, but they take on all of the powers of the superintendent and the board. So they become the governance and the administration. They have superpowers and they have the power to vacate any and all contracts that the that the district is currently a party to teachers yes immediately not immediately but within a year wow wow and, and principals in fact, and in fact, everything everything and in fact you know typically what they have done is gone after the collective bargaining because this is about you know there, there's an element of this state takeover not just in Ohio but nationally that really is about breaking up teachers unions mm-hmm. so they have all gone after the collective bargaining agreements wow yeah that i mean and they have they have absolute power and one of the you know my colleagues in Youngstown tell tell stories about they had about 13 million dollars in surplus for their district at the time that they went and take over and they worked real hard to get that because Youngstown has, has yeah. had some struggling. Well, the CEO came in and, you know, within a couple of years, that 13 million is gone. They got nothing to show for it. He brought in a whole, a, a whole bunch of very high priced consultants, blew the $13 million. And now the one power that the elected school board has, as long as it is, you know, as long as it's still in effect, is that it can it it can put a tax levy on the ballot? Oh, wow. So so in Youngstown, that's what happened. The CEO has gone back to the elected school board and begged them to put a tax levy on the ballot because he blew through the thirteen million dollars. And of course, they're not doing that. But it but but I mean, I, you know, you tell these stories because it really is that bad. Wow, wow. When we when we come back, I want to continue okay. with this. I want to get into. Uh, where we're at you 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 made a statement and i'll tease it right now and then we'll come back and you made a statement that it was 
taxation without, without representation. representation. Yep. I want to okay. get into that when we come back with Eric Resnick, Vice President of the Canton City School Board. Stay tuned. And we are continuing a very interesting discussion with uh, the Vice President of Canton City School Board, Eric Resnick, who attended an event this past Wednesday designed to try and influence Governor DeWine to line-item veto any provision, finalized budget to state takeover. We don't want the state to take over our local school district. And But I, but I have to ask you this. You said um, it's taxation without re- re- representation. First it of all, is. what did you mean by that? Well, I mean two things. Um, you know, our, our local um, community doesn't stop paying their property taxes to the schools just because the state takes over. But they do lose the right to choose who is at the table, um, you know, sitting there accounting for that for that spending. So it it. is so so it absolutely is taxation without representation. The other piece of that is the way the system is rigged currently. Now, once you're taken over, it is nearly impossible to get out once you're in really? you're in for the duration well because you have to get c's on your report card to get out oh, okay. so if you, you know if you if you're getting f's and you're not able to get a d you're certainly not going to be able to jump up to a c you know and that's the fault of the report card and how it measures high poverty districts but so you're in it for the duration so it really is taxation without representation i get it now some people would argue, Eric, that once again in 2018, Canton City received an F mm-hmm. overall by the state. It received an F for achievement, an F for preparing students to succeed, yep. and showed a graduation rate of only 75%. 75.8%. Okay. that That's the four-year graduation. Okay. The, the five years higher. But yeah. Some would argue... That there is plenty, there has been plenty of time to improve. How could this be any state taking it over be any worse? Well, let, let me let me address that by by saying um, yes, we are. You know what I've said a number of times: the Canton City School District over the past you know five to six years, especially, has declined and sunken into a pretty deep hole. You know, the Board of Education. Um, did what what we think is going to help turn that around relatively quickly in the hiring of Dr. Jeff Graham as a superintendent. Dr. Graham is the most qualified um, superintendent that we've had in this community in, in decades. I mean, and, and one of the things that he's very good at is is student achievement. That That's his his strong suit. That's a pretty big step for a board of education. I mean, board boards of education are not in the classrooms teaching the kids. So right. you know, that's that's the biggest arrow that we have in our quiver is is the replacement of the superintendent. Um, we have also um, refocused much of the district on on um, academic performance and on student achievement in a way that that wasn't before. I mean, you know, you know. It, it, we are not completely clean of hands here. You know, the the current board and our predecessors um, let things get to a point where some drastic measures had to be taken. And so we that's took hard it. to admit. 
well, it, but it's the truth, and you know, I'm, you know, it, it is the truth, and and anybody who looks at our report card over the last six years will see that very clearly. But we did it, and we, and 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 I think we we did all right, and I think that you're going to see some improvement in those scores um, starting this year, whether and whether or not it's enough to get us the D and out of you know trouble with the state it remains to be seen. But I think you are going to see some improvement. The other thing with that is we know that local control of school districts is the most effective model because it's reflexive of the individual community in which in which we operate. And we know that that these takeover schemes don't work anywhere. It was the article in the Plain Dealer. I read that, that was I mean and it, it just shows that in Ohio Nothing's changing. In fact, Youngstown scores are actually a little bit worse since the state took over. Yes. And everybody else's has basically stayed the same. This is Ohio's not the only state that's experimented with this. And it hasn't worked anywhere. There is nowhere that they can point to and say state takeover is going to raise scores. I I I I would agree with you. Now here's the thing that boggles my mind, Eric. We're talking with Eric Resnick, the Canton City Schools vice president, and we may have to go beyond the news and continue this because I think it's important. I have never been in a community in my life, and I've lived in 10 different states. I grew up in Akron. Stark County is a can-do place. Mm -hmm. The people of Stark County, to me, are amazing. I think this is probably, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So we know that the people are great. They make things happen. We know that the board is strong. I trust, I believe in the board. I mm-hmm. think the board is a bunch, uh, is is made up of a lot of very caring, committed people. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have, very, we have a very strong board Yes. Right now. now, I also know, I know many current and former teachers in Canton City Schools. Mm-hmm. The ones I know are some of the most dedicated people, quality people, quality teachers that I have ever met. Mm-hmm. So what's the problem? <laughs> I the mean, problem, I, I don't get it. The, the, the one word answer is the poverty. Why? Po- poverty, and I, and I get this, but poverty doesn't make you... Poverty, you have poverty, it affects, I mean, we have the meal programs. Right. So the kids are fed. Right. We have... Poverty doesn't make you less intelligent. That's correct. It may affect your vocabulary. There have been studies that it affects your vocabulary, that it may affect reading skills, things like that. And those are very important to communication. However, the potential of a young person in poverty is the same as the potential makeup, brain-wise, everything, of anywhere else. How, yes. Am I wrong? Well, yes and no. Okay. We'll, <laughs> Let's tackle this when we come back. All right, we'll tackle it okay. when we come back. We're going to take a break right now, and we'll get into this. Because um, that is the crux of this. Good. That is perfect. We'll get into this first. We continue with Eric Resnick, the VP of Canton City School Board. Stay tuned. Okay, we left. We are continuing our discussion with uh, Eric Resnick, Vice President of the School Board here in Canton City Schools. And 
I left you with this, that I don't think there's a better place with more caring people than Stark County, Canton, Ohio. Phenomenal. Teachers, everyone I've met is are some of the most committed people that I've ever mm-hmm. ever been around. Great teachers who really care, truly mm-hmm. care. Um, I, I believe in. I believe we have a strong school board that gets it. You said poverty is the problem. Number one. Yep. Why? Poverty doesn't make people less intelligent. That's correct. So what is the problem? You know, there's there's a saying that, you know, Mother Nature distributes intelligence equally, but not opportunity. And the poverty problem is all all orbits around the opportunity. You know, before the break, you you mentioned vocabulary. Well, vocabulary is a big deal. You know, and our our kids, in, in order to get a lot of our kids ready for the third grade reading tests, you know, we have to do a lot of remediation. Our kids, very few of our kids, come to school prepared even for kindergarten. You know, compared to a more affluent district like and I'm I'm gonna pick on them because I'm familiar with it where my where my nephews went to school down in New Albany, mm-hmm. down in the Columbus area, the very affluent suburb, they don't have any problem getting most of their kids ready for the third grade guarantee. And it's not because they're more intelligent and it's not because they have um more more grit or more determination. In fact, Quite frankly, and I hope my nephews aren't listening to this. Usually, the opposite is true. You know, our our you know our kids have to work for what they get, and they have to, you know, they they have to take advantage of opportunity, and they have a lot of ingenuity um, that you don't see with a lot of kids that that come from a more privileged circumstance. But here's the problem: those state tests test that vocabulary. So if you're if you're deficient in vocabulary because of your background, because of the environment that you live in, because of the experiences that you have not had. You know, my nephews have traveled all over the world. You know, they have parents and grandparents who are, you know, professionals who read to them since the time they were young. They've had every opportunity materially. So many of the kids in high-poverty urban districts, including Canton City, and we're one of the highest in the state, have not come from that background. So they have farther to go to get to the point of achievement. They start out with, they start out with, with a higher deficit. How do we resolve that? Well, because you can't just, you, you, you can't just say this is how it is. This is, this is, you know, this is the big macro discussion that goes on in in education circles i don't believe that school districts can solve that all by ourselves the the those problems are actually bigger than what we can do in schools now we can do some things we can have and we do early childhood education but who goes to that well, hopefully everybody does. The problem with early childhood, though, is that the state of Ohio doesn't require it. So in Canton City, we have it, and we do really well at it, but we can't require Can kids to we, go. in Canton City, can the mayor or the city council mandate it? 
I doubt it. I, I don't want to say no, but I doubt it. Okay. Yeah, and, and it's just be, because because somebody the, would be, take be, it to a court. State, yeah. Well, you know the state. The state requires K through twelve. There is no requirement for pre-K. Now, Kent City Schools does pre-K. In fact, we do pre-K very well. For free? Yes. Totally. Hmm. But it, but it's not 100%. Yeah. Um, you know, we can make sure that the kids get enough to eat while they're in school. Right. But then there's the weekend. Right. You know, we can make sure that that we get kids out of their comfort zone of their own neighborhood and to places like colleges for visits and to visit um, places of employment, things that, you know, kids that have more opportunity would, would typically take for granted. And we do those things. So there are some things that we can do, but here's what we can't do. You know, we have kids, and, and this is really unfortunate, but we have kids who come to school on days when their homes might have been raided the night before, so they haven't slept. When maybe there was um, you know, drama in their neighborhood that they couldn't control. Mm. Um, something happened in their house. Yeah. We can't control those things and all of those things and and it's not every kid every day but our kids and kids everywhere that live in high poverty circumstances live with a certain amount of post-traumatic stress disorder got it you know they show i get that they show some of the signs that you know people coming back from from military deployments show School districts are just not equipped to deal with that. We can help ameliorate some of it, but that is not what we do. Wow. And all of those things that, that swirl around, you know, and, and, you know, for our kids, even, you know, for a lot of our kids, even to go to the mall is a big deal yeah. because they just don't get out of their neighborhoods very often. Mm-hmm. that kind of cultural enrichment and the deficit you know that the poverty causes is is what is holding districts like ours back on these tests that test vocabulary and knowledge of those types of things and they do it in a standardized way so that our kids our kids in the Canton City School District are actually standardized and normed to my nephews in New Albany. I hear you. And that's the problem. I agree. I agree with that 100%. That was, that was a perfect explanation, Eric. I, I uh, You know, I, as, a, as a former college football coach, I saw that. Mm-hmm. I, I recruited a lot of kids from inner-city Detroit and inner-city uh, LA and different places yep. where I went. Um, <clears throat> and I saw that mm-hmm. I saw what the schools were like, what they dealt with, what the kids dealt with, the pools they had. Um, and, and then, but there's also that part of me that says, can't just, we can't just accept that. And I know you feel that mm-hmm. I, 
I, I can't even imagine what the teachers and the board and everybody goes through daily trying to figure out how to reach more and more kids well, and I not give, have them fall through the cracks. I give a lot of credit you know, to our teachers and principals and the support staffs that are yeah. that are in the buildings because, you know, they and they get it. You know, most of them are here because they want to be. You know, this is a calling for I agree. many of them. And I'll tell you, I you know, when I'm in the school buildings from time to time, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I just, you know, it, it is tough and they do it day in and day out and they do it. They do it with 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 so much love and compassion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and I don't want anybody out there to think that that they set expectations low for our kids. They don't. You know, the expectations are high, but you also have to understand that the deficits are, are higher. Right. All right, so what's next? To wrap this up, and I thank you so much for your time. Well, I and thank you've you been, for... You've been I, wonderful. What are, are we just kind of at mercy now of what happens in Columbus? Uh, at the moment, yes. Either this passes or Governor DeWine line item vetoes out that thing in the budget. What we want is what what we want is for the omnibus budget to have House Bill one fifty four as reported by the House in it and nothing else. When will they know that? Well <laughs> soon. You know, the the deadline actually is tomorrow night at at, at midnight. And if it doesn't but have they're it already in it? you know, there I saw this morning where, where the Speaker of the House is talking about the possibility of that not happening and they're having to do interim budgets. Mm. So I, I don't know. So if it, if it's not in there, you still have next year before it kicks in. We do. Yeah. To maybe, cause do they do a budget every year? Every, every two years. Oh, it's, so it's what they do now. Well, this can be done as a standalone bill. Okay. The reason why it's important to have it in the budget is because Lorraine and Youngstown and East Cleveland need it right now. Okay. I hear you. So it's not so much, but then the. And Dayton needs it right now. Because, because, because this because year because it's going to start. In September, the determination will be made whether Dayton goes into academic distress or not. And it sounds like they will. If the law stays the same in September, yeah, they will. And then Canton City will, we'll and 10 other lot. schools, we'll have districts. Months. Pretty soon the state will take over everything, well, except for Jackson and, and that's, North Canton. And you know, there, there's, some, you know there, there's some intentionality that way in, in the way that legislation was, was crafted, too. Interesting. Interesting. Eric Resnick, thank you. And, and thank my, you, Joe. My best to you and all the members of the board are all fine people and, and – uh, as you proceed with this, and hopefully we, with with our new superintendent yep. and things going on, that this turns around. He would come on your show too. Oh, good! I'd love yep. to have him. I'd love to have him talk about these things. Yeah, he's he and he's great to talk to about these things. Awesome, Eric Resnick. Thank you so much, thank and you, you have Joe. a wonderful day. Thank you. Okay, get a four-pack of vouchers to see any regular season Rubber Ducks game, Akron Rubber Ducks game. Beautiful park, Canal Park. It is a great place to go see a game. And uh, all you have to do is figure out who these Canton, Stark County heroes are. And I'm going to take a second caller. What's your name, please? Yeah, Dennis. Dennis, how are you, man? Oh, not too bad. I'm glad to hear that. 
Dennis, did you get the answers? Yeah, I did. All right, here we go. I'm going to give you these. I graduated from Glenwood High School in 1967 and went to the University of Michigan. I was a stalwart of the St. Louis Cardinals offensive line for many seasons, playing guard, left tackle, and right tackle, and finally center. I was later inducted in the Hall of Fame. Who am I? Yeah, I uh, shook hands with him at uh, Jackson Bailey Electric. Um, over, well, actually, at that time, we was over at Maslin. Okay. And uh, his brother worked at uh, CPC over there. All right. What, uh, what's his Deardorf. name? Dan Deardorf, yes. Yeah. Here's another one. I graduated from Oakwood High School and went to tiny West Liberty State. But my NFL career was anything but tiny. I was a safety for the Green Bay Packers for several years and am a member of the Packers Hall of Fame. Currently, I teach at Akron St. Vincent St. Mary's High School, LeBron James's alma mater. Most people recall me as being totally hairless. Who am I? Mike Murphy. Mark Murphy. Yeah, Mark Murphy. I'll give you that. Yeah. I'll give you that. All right, here's the last one. I was born in Akron, but grew up in Canton. I went to Lehman High School. At Kent State University, I was a teammate of pitcher Steve Stone, the guy who gave up former Cleveland Indians second baseman Dwayne Kuyper's one and only Major League home run. I met a tragic end in a plane crash and had the biggest funeral in Canton's history, even Reggie Jackson came. Who am I? Thurman uh, Munson. Yes, sir. You won. Congratulations. All right. I'm going to get you gave a you get a four pack of vouchers to see any Rack, Akron Rubber Ducks game this summer. You could go anytime you want. You come in and pick up the tickets. It's a great place to go. I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, Stephen Potter is going to get your information. You could come in this week and pick up your vouchers. How's that? That's great. I I like that story you talked about with your mother was on the radio there this morning. Oh, thank you so much. That was interesting. Thank you. You have a great day. All right. Thank you. All right. He's on hold. Um, John. Joe. I was talking about this, this, um, Oberlin thing because it they're still the Oberlin president and the students are being they just got a 44 million dollar settlement handed to them by this Gibson bakery really I told you that last yeah oh, yeah I mean yeah but they're still they're still fighting it they're still saying even though the three men admitted to stealing stuff they're still trying to say that the bakery was racist and the, and the president is still saying we, 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 we were we were okay with this. We're okay with this. We're right with this. And they're fighting it. They're saying it's free speech. Hmm. Which blows me away. I heard I heard allegedly that the president of the college was on the stand and was being cross-examined by the defendant's attorneys. And he said he banned the bakery goods. See, the bakery used to supply all the baked goods for the school. Yeah. Well, they canceled that when this happened. And he said they banned 
They banned the baked goods because he was afraid that the students would throw the food and mess up the cafeteria. (laughs) And he was asked by the attorney, is this a college or is this second grade? And who's in control of the asylum? I mean, really, this shocked me about Oberlin College, that the president is actually afraid of the students and afraid that they're going to throw the pastries all over the cafeteria if he put them in there. Maybe they just didn't like the pastries. Well, they had them for 135 years. Apparently they did. I'm just blown away by this whole thing. And there's they're still getting in they're still they're still fighting this for some reason, saying it's free speech. It's not free speech to libel someone. I'm not allowed to libel you. No. I'm not allowed I'm allowed to have my opinion, but I'm not allowed to go out in public and say, you know, John Bazi John Bazika is a sexist. I mean, I go out in public and say that about you all the time, so <laughs> So I don't know what you're talking about. Wow. Wow, you just did that. What? I'm calling Lee Placus this week. <laughs> I'm calling oh, Lee Placus. Did I admit my guilt on air? Oh, no. <laughs> you did. We'll have to get into the primary stuff uh, later on another show. I um, I, I want to thank uh, my, my mom, Sylvia Palmasano. It's a great story. Yeah, she's she's unbelievable, and and I want to thank uh, obviously Eric Resnick for spending forty five minutes with me and talking about Kansas City Schools and the takeover. Very very informative. Um, John Bazika is always sports and more. Uh, Stephen Potter, J. David Rest with the news. Stephen Potter putting this whole thing together. Pam Cook out at Puchamania. Uh, I think at eleven o'clock. Joe Cocker Spaniel opens up. Oh. He he gives his concert, and it's uh, his hit. I get by with a little treat from my friend. He's going to be out there. He's the bark of the town. Yeah, yeah. Let's pause. All right. Have a great week, everybody. I'll talk to you next Saturday morning at 8.